0: If you will to the 15th chapter of Luke. Here we have three stories. We're going to be looking at the third of the three stories. Luke chapter 15 starting with verse 11. I'll read from there in just a few moments. Some people think that the most important question in life is do you believe in God? Let me suggest for us today that a more relevant question just might be in what kind of God do you believe? There's something far worse than not believing in God. It's believing there is a God, but having a wrong concept of God. There are many religions in the world that present different pictures of God. A stopped clock is still going to be right twice a day. But actually, a broken clock is worse than no clock at all because it gives you misleading information what is god really like is he the god of muslim terrorists is god really named allah and does he reward murdering terrorists who hijack airplanes and murder innocent people does he want all infidels killed even if it means strapping a bomb to your body and killing yourself is god the impersonal god of the deists deism teaches that god created the world like an old-fashioned watchmaker not an electrical or digital but the old kind of clock that you wound up and after winding up the world and starting it he now sits uncaring and unable to get involved in what's happening in the lives of people hinduism teaches that there are numbers of gods and goddesses, but the greatest one is Brahmin, the impersonal but all-pervasive life force that is in everyone. In the same way, New Agers teach that God is the life force in everything. That's why they can worship anything and everything, including themselves. Is that what God is like? Is he Allah? Is he a watchmaker but absent god is he brahmin is god nothing more than the good side of the force in the star wars movies is there any difference between may the force be with you and may god be with you jesus came to show us exactly what god was like jesus is the image of the invisible God in Colossians 1.15. He's the exact imprint of God's nature in Hebrews 1.3. Jesus said, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. And so here in Luke chapter 15 today, Jesus gives us three beautiful stories that paint word pictures of the character and nature of God. We're looking at the third of those three stories, stand if you will, you follow as I read from the NIV, Luke chapter 15, starting with verse 11. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Let's pray. Father, we ask for your blessings on us now as we look to your word for truth and for guidance. May we find even in this familiar story some new thought some new meaning to apply to our own lives we pray in jesus name amen thank you and be seated very familiar passage for us this morning one that i'm sure as i you have heard numbers of sermons and lessons and teachings on my prayer this morning is that you will perhaps find something new that you had not thought about as we look at this story of the parable of the prodigal son in the story the key figure is without question the father and so today i'm calling it the parable of a loving father jesus was teaching those in the first century that their jehovah god their conception of their creator and vengeful god of the old testament was like the father in the story In the way that Jesus told the story, there was also a twist that they never saw coming. Number one in your outlines today, we worship a God who regrets when you rebel. In the story, that younger son demanded to receive his inheritance even though the father was still alive. According to Jewish law, a man who had two sons was to leave two thirds of his estate to the older son and one third to his younger son, and so the younger son came to him one day and essentially said i don 't want to wait until you die. I want it now. The father had to have been hurt by this demand, but he granted it immediately. The son takes the father the the money he leaves he walks out of his father's life and he heads for that far Country, and it's here that we can make a couple of observations. Some I'm sure you've heard before. First, number one that far country can be anywhere that we find ourselves apart from God. We can tell from the way that the father welcomed the son back home at the end of the story that his heart was broken when his son left home. I believe that the father shed many tears over the behavior of his son here's your homework today where is your far country one of the youth in Kenya when we were having our afternoon uh, workshop sessions one young lady shared with me that when she was with some of her friends she felt like she was in a far country And it wasn't that they were not good people. It wasn't that they were doing something they shouldn't have. She wanted to share her faith with them. But she found it difficult to do that. And she described it as being in a far country. I would ask you today, where or what is your far country? In what experiences do you find yourself feeling like you are removed or distanced from him? What changes need to be made spend some time this week identifying your far country without question the father in the parable represents god he is that loving and generous father do you notice that it said in the when i read the parable that after the young son came and wanted his share that he gave both shares to his sons he liquidated all of his assets and basically emptied his estate for both of his sons he's a loving and generous father but he's also one who will allow you to walk away from fellowship with him if that is what you want even if it breaks his heart if the father represents God then who is represented by this prodigal son I've heard some preachers who have preached on this passage and use it in evangelistic messages to say that that prodigal son is a person who is lost, a person who is not a Christian, one who has never been saved. I am not so sure about that. He was his father's son. Don't make the mistake of thinking that all people are God's children. We're all his creation. But we're not all his children. John 1.12 says that to many as received him who believed in his name, he gave the right to become his children. Is there anything to suggest that the son did not have a good and right relationship with his father? I've heard some preachers say that, well, he must have always been that wayward child that problem child, the one who always gave his father grief, but I don't see anything in the story to convince me of that. I'm not saying it couldn't have been, but let's think about it a different way. Could it be that that younger son represents those of us who do have a good and right and proper relationship with God through Christ? He is our father. We are his children. And it's here that we can learn a very important lesson. You cannot sever your relationship with God. Believe that. You cannot sever your relationship with God. I know that some people believe you can. There is that doctrine, although I wouldn't use the word doctrine here. There is that belief that you can lose your salvation. I believe that is a false teaching. It is as false as you can ever come up with. And those who believe it are welcome to their opinion, even though they're wrong. (laughs) You cannot sever your relationship with God, but you can break your fellowship with him. The whole time that younger son was away, he was still his father's son. And even though he had left his presence and his favor and his influence, he was still his father's boy. The message for us today is that Christians can do the same thing. Once you become a Christian, God establishes a love relationship with you. He is your father and nothing can ever change that. John 10 verses 27 and 28 says that we cannot be removed from the father's hand that relationship is permanent and it is irrevocable god the loving father says i love you but you're free to go if any christian today is bound and determined to walk away from god he will not stop you he might send some warnings he might send some people into your life. He might send some factors, some things into his life, to your life. He may send his spirit to help you know that you, this is something you need to think about very carefully. But he is not going to force his will and his way on you. God does not coerce obedience from us. His desire is that we choose to love him and to serve him. That's the problem with infant baptism. There's no choice there. There was a man who was a deeply committed Christian. He allowed himself to get caught up in sexual sin to the point of committing adultery. And he ended up leaving his family. He became miserable. He became bitter toward God. And he even said, if it was so wrong, why didn't God stop me? It's as if he was blaming God for something that he did. Did this get past God? Did God not see it coming? Could God not have sent a lightning bolt down to to steer this man in the right direction? Yes, he could have. But he didn't. God didn't stop this man for the same reason that he did not stop Adam and Eve from eating the forbidden fruit. God did not stop this man for the same reason that he did not stop King David from having a relationship with Bathsheba and then lying and murdering to try to cover it up. God did not stop this man for the same reason that the father in our story today did not bar himself across the doorway and say to his son, I will never let you leave. Because God is all wisdom. He knows the choices that we are going to make even before we make them. But also because he is all loving, he will allow us to do so even when it breaks his heart. I believe the Bible is telling us that just as the father grieved when his son walked away, even so God our father grieves when we choose to walk out of fellowship with him some of you parents and grandparents may well be parents and grandparents of some prodigals I'm going to have something to to say to you before the end of the message this morning those of you who have prodigal children or grandchildren in your family you know the pain that the father felt. You know what it hurts, how it hurts to have grown children who are alienated from you. You feel the pain. We're going to talk about that at the close of the message. Number two in your outlines. We worship a God who runs when you return. That prodigal son did not fare so well in that far country let me take just a little aside here do you know what it means when we we say the prodigal son we refer to this being the story of the prodigal do you know what prodigal even means it's not just that he went away it's not just that he wandered it's not just that he was lost or distant the word prodigal means someone who squanders resources or wastes opportunities He was still his father's son. But he was not only wasting the money, but he was wasting the opportunities that he had because he was the father's son. Before he could even realize it, that money was gone. And he ends up in a pig pen. Jesus said in different translations, either he came to his senses or he came to himself. He realized that even the servants back home had it better than he did. And so he starts that journey back home. And how did the father receive him? And it's here I have to share with you, I discovered something I did not know. There are a lot of things in this world I don't know, but I discovered one recently. This story is not original with Jesus. In ancient Jewish literature, long before Jesus told this story, there is a story of a son who asked for his inheritance, who left home, who wasted it, and then came crawling home. And in the original story, the father rejected him. And so as Jesus was telling this story, it may well be that those Pharisees listening were thinking to themselves oh yeah we know this one we know how it ends it could well be that they were thinking to themselves you know maybe we were wrong about this Jesus maybe he's one of us after all because you see they expected to hear him say that one day the father looked and he saw from a distance his son returning and so he stood there like this and when the father, the son finally came crawling home and begged for forgiveness and begged to come back home, the father said, No, no way, you forget it. You had your chance. You wanted to go with the pigs, you just go back and live with your pigs. You see, they were thinking they knew the end of the story. And the way that the father turned the son away, telling him he was getting exactly what he deserved. That was a story that reflected the Old Testament idea of strict legalism, not the New Testament ideal of grace. In fact, listen to what Deuteronomy 21, starting with verse 18, says about this same kind of scenario. If a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who does not obey... The father and mother shall bring him to the elders and say, this son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey us. He is a profligate. That's another word that means one who wastes resources and a drunkard. And then all the men shall stone him to death. That's the way that the Pharisees expected Jesus to tell the story, but he gave it a surprise twist imagine with me the father's heart was broken when his son left and every day while he was gone the father thought of the son and wondered where he was and what he was doing if he was all right and every afternoon Toward the end of the day, he would walk to the edge of his property and stand there at a stone fence and look down the road that had taken his son away. And he was looking and longing and hoping that one day his son would return. And then one afternoon, he sees a bent figure coming toward him. He looks, but then he quickly dismisses it. couldn't be his son. Because his son always had a spring in his step. His son always held his head high. And not only that, whoever this fella is is dressed in rags. His son always had the best clothes. But he looks again. And he begins to think that there's something familiar there. And then he realizes, that's my boy. That's my boy. And then he does something amazing. He runs. (laughs) He runs. Verse 20, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. Then it says he was filled with compassion and ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The Greek verb there indicates that he kept on kissing him and kissing him and kissing. Today we would say he smothered him with kisses. In Jewish culture, older men did not run. (laughs) Older men wore long tunics and robes almost to the ground. And so in order for him to run, he would have to reach down and pick that low hem of that garment and raise it almost to his waist in order to run and not trip over it. Men of respect did not run that would have been embarrassing it would have been undignified but you know what he didn't care he didn't care what anyone saw or thought of him he couldn't wait for his son to reach him he ran to his son and he started hugging him and kissing him before his son could even say a word can we even imagine Remember where that son had been. He had to have looked and smelled like something repulsive to his Orthodox Jewish father. He could have said something like, son, I'm glad you're back, but go take a shower and we'll talk later. But no, he hugged him. He hugged him and welcomed him with open arms so that the dirt and the filth And the stench rubbed off on him. That is a picture of what Jesus did for us. He took our sin on himself. God the loving Father says, When you start home, I will meet you more than halfway. Jesus was telling the Pharisees that God runs to meet us when we decide to return to Him. There are people today who have drifted out of fellowship with God. There are people today who have walked away from the presence of their Father. When we choose to sin and disobey God and go and live in that far country, He will allow us to do it. He will long for us to return. And with tender words of compassion, his words for us today is that when you start home, I will meet you more than halfway. If you'll take one step toward the Savior, my friend, you'll find his arms open wide. Receive him and all of your darkness will end. Within your heart, he will abide. So what is God really like? Some people see him as some mean ogre on a throne up there where we can't see it, but he can see us and he's just watching and waiting for us to mess up so he can say, aha, now I've got you. But you see, that's not the God that Jesus wanted to describe for us. He is a loving and compassionate God who cares. British pastor Charles Spurgeon describes this scene in the story this way. He says, it was not with icy eyes that the father looked on his returning son. Love filled his heart as he beheld him. There was no anger in his heart toward his son. It was true that it was all his own fault, but that did not come into his father's mind. It was the state he was in. His poverty, his degradation, his hunger that touched the father to the quick. We read that the father ran. The compassion of God is followed by swift movements. He is slow to anger, but he is quick to bless. God comes running in the greatness of his compassion to help every poor soul who returns to him and so we worship a god who regrets our rebellion he runs to us when we return and number three he restores when you repent when he finally came to his senses the son rehearsed the speech that he was going to give his father and he said three things in verse 21 that he was going to say two of them were right one was not First, he said, I have sinned against heaven. That was right. All sin is against God. And so he confessed his sin to God. Second, he said, I have sinned. He confessed to the father. I have sinned against you. He said, right again. One of the hardest things for us to say is I was wrong. I wronged you. I'm sorry. But look at that third statement. He said, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Now, that may sound beautiful and eloquent on the surface, but there's a mistake in that way of thinking. You see, he never was worthy to be called the son of his father. He never deserved to be a son. It was all by grace. It was only because of God's grace that he was born into that family to start with. And it is only because of God's grace that we are born into his family. We do not deserve it. The father refused to entertain any idea that his son would be a servant. You see, even when the son was in that far country, he was still his father's son there was still a relationship he had just broken the fellowship immediately the father commanded his servants to bring the best robe it says the best robe he didn't just go get a spare change of clothes out of the closet what is the best garment in your house for men it might be a tuxedo might be a favorite suit that you only wear on very special occasions. Women ladies what are, is it the the wedding dress that you wore years ago? Think about what is the most beautiful, most prized, best piece of garment in your closet. The man said, don't just go get anything. <laughs> you get the best robe you can find. And you come bring it on and put it on my boy. And he covered his filth and his dirt with that robe. That's another picture of how God covers us with that robe of righteousness through Jesus. Sons also wore family rings that very often had the family seal engraved on it. The son may well have left home with a ring on his finger, but that was long gone. And so the father put a new ring on his son's hand and that was symbolizing his full status into the family. The son was willing to be a slave. But slaves don't wear shoes. Sons do. And so he called for sandals to be put on his son's feet. That old spiritual, all God's chilling got shoes, that comes from that verse. With the robe and the ring and the sandals, the Father restored everything that the Son had lost. But there's still more. Because you see, God, the loving Father, says, I will treat you as if you never left. The Father commanded that fattened calf to be killed so they could have a real party, a feast, it says. Everything the son had left to look for, he found when he came back home. The father's love for his prodigal son had never changed. That is why the word justification is so important in Christian understanding. We talk about justification and sanctification and glorification. Do you know what justification really means? A good definition of justification is just as if I'd never sinned. Justification, just as if I'd never sinned. It's not the same story, it's different. It's supposed to be. But in his book, Capital of the World, Ernest Hemingway wrote about a father in Spain who had a son named Paco. And because of his son's rebellion, Paco and his father were estranged. The father was bitter. He was angry with his son and in fact kicked him out of the home. And after years of bitterness, the father's anger ended and he realized he had been wrong. And he began to look for Paco but he couldn't find him. And finally in desperation he placed an ad in the Madrid newspaper and the ad said Paco all is forgiven meet me at the newspaper office at 9 a.m tomorrow love your papa. Paco is a very common name in Spain. And Hemingway wrote that when the father arrived at the newspaper office the next morning, there were 600 young men named Paco (laughs) wanting to come home. Wanting their father's forgiveness. We started reading with that third story. If you go back to the very first verse of Luke chapter 15, you see the audience that Jesus was talking to. Some were Pharisees who thought they were perfect. Others were tax collectors and sinners there as well. And Jesus was just trying to tell them that God is not like that father who turned the son away when he wanted to come home in their version of the story. He wanted them to know that God is a loving father who will always be there to welcome us. We've seen a wonderful picture today of what God is like. He regrets our rebellion. He runs when we return and He restores when we repent. But there are some of you today who need a different word from this parable. You aren't the wayward son. You're not the older brother. You feel the pain of the father. Some of you are parents and grandparents who have prodigals in your family. Your son or your daughter may be distant because of rebellion, because of a disagreement, because of a sinful lifestyle, because of a bad choice. For whatever reason, they have walked away. And you feel the pain of that relationship. And so to parents or grandparents or others, who may have prodigals in your family, let me say this. Number one, God understands your pain. Sometimes we want to sing, nobody knows the trouble I've seen, but that's not true because God does. God God knows it and He cares. He is the suffering Father in our story. Number two, don't rush to the pig pen to help them. In the parable, the father did not go to the pig pen and try to pull his son out. The son had to realize on his own. God used that pig pen to help him come to his senses, come to himself. Some of you have kids in the pig pen right now. And you want to run and rescue them. They have to come to their senses. Number three, let them know the door is open. You don't have to go to the pig pen, but don't slam the door shut either. Let them know that the light is still on. And then finally, receive them when they come home. They never stop being a child or a grandchild. Receive them When they come home, that relationship never ends. And the fellowship can be restored. We have it from God's Word. The Savior is waiting to enter your heart. Why don't you let Him come in? There's nothing in this world to keep you apart. What is your answer to Him? If you'll take one step toward the Savior, my friend, you'll find his arms open wide. Receive him and all of your darkness will end. Within your heart, he'll abide. Time after time, he has waited before and now he is waiting again to see if you are willing to open the door. Oh, how he wants to come here. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you've given us these words today. We pray, Father, that you would help us apply these to our own lives, to our own hearts, to our own relationships. Father, help us to be reminded from this story today how kind and compassionate and how loving you are, and that you will always receive us. We have never gone so far that we cannot come home to you again. And so, Father, send your Spirit to help remind us of that truth today. In Jesus' name, amen. We come to a time of commitment in our service, and this is your opportunity to respond in any way God might be speaking to your heart, to your life, whether it's regarding your relationship with Him or your relationship with this church. Would you listen and respond as God's Spirit speaks? Stand as we sing.